0: I'm Maria Morgan. This is Closer Look. Dr. Kevin Ellers is with the Salvation Army on 9-11-2001. He got the call to go to New York.
1: I was in Kansas City at that time when I got the call and I was there for two weeks.
0: Tell us about yourself now. What are, what are you doing now?
1: You know, I'm, I'm still serving as a Territorial Disaster Services Director. Um, at that time, I was not. I was in Kansas City, and I was uh, serving in the Social Services Department when I got deployed to 9-11. Uh, to serve at the World Trade Center site. Um, also, now, because of that event, though, I do a lot with uh, trauma and grief, healing with my wife through uh, life coaching and counseling.
0: When you were activated, did they tell you what you were expected to do?
1: Um, well, nobody knew quite what was, what was going on at that time. Um, since I was one of our lead people there at the crisis response team, and I was working on my doctoral program at that time, actually. Um, and uh, it was very interesting. They just said, we're not sure what exactly you're going to be doing. It's probably something with the Family Assistance Center. It could be chaplaincy. It could be grief. We don't know. Just get your bags packed and get there and they'll tell you once you arrive. And so it was a kind of evolving thing as I was there.
0: What do you remember about the moment that you heard the towers had been struck by the planes?
1: I remember distinctly. I was standing in my kitchen. i um, at a little um, bar of air, and I was had a, a a bagel in my right hand and a glass of orange juice on my left. And I saw the planes hit. You know, hit the hit the World Trade Center. I remember the first thing I thought is well, no, I'm going to be getting a call pretty soon. And um, that, was, that, was, that was true. And I remember feeling extremely overwhelmed. And even though I've been preparing and training and doing crisis trauma stuff for years, I, it was such a big event. I just felt totally and um, completely unprepared for this. And I think most people did.
0: You said you had your own sense of being overwhelmed, confused, and, and dealing with other people who were confused. What would you say about your training made you more prepared, better prepared than the average person?
1: yeah, I was I started my my doctoral program, my master's program I had worked on to be a hospital chaplain, so I'd done you know a lot of crisis response work. I'd worked in the inner city and you know worked a lot of that stuff with local disaster for a long time um, but it, it it was like this was such a huge thing. It just seemed like you know even professionals who had done this for years, all of us just felt like just overwhelmed by the, by the the magnitude of this. And, um, you know, I've often talked about that. And I, I, I always tell people, I hope that I never, ever lose that too. I think when we get a danger is when we think we know it all, you know, hope there's always a sense of humility that we feel in the face of great trauma when the unspeakable has happened, that we just feel humbled by it and, you know, kind of get silent with people.
0: Sounds like what you're saying is, when you sign up to be a trauma responder, you're signing up for it being fresh for you every time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem I find a lot of times. People have done one disaster, you know, and all of a sudden they, they go into another disaster thinking, oh, you know, yeah, I had, went to another tornado five years ago. and This is what happened. And I always tell, you know, in my training, you know, if you've gone to one disaster, you've gone to one disaster. You know, the people are different. The situations are different. Even when I've done like multiple hurricanes through the years, you go into one city, maybe Gulfport or Louisiana or somewhere in Louisiana, and they've been through one you know hurricane years ago. You go in and it's, it's different. You know, the landscape has changed. The people have changed. The situations have changed. The economic change. You know, there's so many things. So I always tell people you have to kind of wipe that slate clean and start in every disaster as if it's the first one you've gone to and so when when i wrote the spiritual psychological first aid curriculum the first thing i started with is how to be present you know that first there's 10 p's in that course and the first one is is to be present with people the second p is to protect people and the third is provide practical assistance
0: Mm. let's go back to that day to 9-11. You are standing there with the bagel in one hand and the orange juice in the other, and you know you're going to get the call. The call comes. What happens next?
1: Well at that point i started started packing because <laughs> I figured it would, it would be happening um, you know as crisis responders, we always kind of keep our stuff ready anyway. The big thing for me was really started you know looking in my heart and you know preparing myself emotionally and spiritually for this because I knew that the the demands would be great, you know
0: I understand you had a very specific role um in the aftermath
1: um yeah, I was assigned to primarily be um um because I went in New York City at it- um, there, there were three, you know, three different sites, um, but I was at nine eleven at the World Trade, and then um, on Pier ninety four, if they had taken over that that pier, and they had made a family assistance center, so that's where I worked pretty much all day. I'd get there like at seven thirty in the morning and stay there till late in the evening, and then when that closed down, um, I would go over to the pile um, where the World Trade Center had collapsed, and I would help there. It was a bad idea looking backwards because then I was exposed <clears throat> to not. Not only the the victims, so the family members who had survived, I'd deal with them all day long, but then I would go back to the pile at night and it was just really overwhelming.
0: Pile, is that what everyone decided to call
1: it? That's what we we called it at first because as they kept digging it kinda of went down, 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 and it became a pit. But you know, in those early days, um, there was it was just a huge pile of rubble, you know, and then our chaplains were there and then whenever they would find, you know, somebody remains, everybody would stop and then you know, the chaplain would go, they'd say a prayer and then they would, you know, take the body to the morgue and um, it was very, it was very powerful. Like I remember standing there one, one time I was standing there at the pile and this group of firefighters walked up beside me. And um, it was probably the second night that I was, that I was there and I was still feeling pretty overwhelmed by it. It was just so, so huge. It was just this, this kind of sacred silence. I can't even really explain, but the firefighters walked up and we just, all stood there in silence just looking at this and it was like it was surreal it was like you're in this movie you know that you you see but it, you were a part of it somehow it was, it was just surreal is only word that we said we just stood there for a long time and just looked at each other and just really had no words and there was a lot of that just no words to really be said but there was a something you shared when you know even even today when you meet somebody who was there you know and you talk about standing at the pile that's you you share something that you know, you just know, you know the sights, you know the smells, you know the, you know what it felt like.
0: In the uh, reality that there's nothing you can really do, you can't reverse this, you can't make it better. It, it, it is what it is. What were you able to accomplish when you spent those couple of weeks on Pier 94 at the Salvation Army Service Center?
1: Just kept telling myself and the team, there's not enough people to help everybody. You have to focus on the person in front of you, and that's something that I've learned through the years. When they get overwhelmed, you just focus on God has placed this person in front of me at this time, and I will be present with this person, do what I can, and realize that God will give me what I need, you know, to to minister this person at this at this time. And that kind of got got through. I I made it about seven days into the deployment. And we were working like, you know, fourteen hour days and we were just exhausted and um little sleep and just you know, it's just going nonstop. And I remember I just I just hit the we call it hit the wall. I just I just totally completely lost it.
0: How do disaster responders take care of each other? How does that work?
1: Well, I think we had some real lessons learned from that. We hadn't done that well, <laughs> I don't think, prior to that. And I think doing, you know, now tons of disasters for 20 years that's one of my my huge things of, of creating teams and you know Having people you know, before they go in to make sure they're in a good place to, to start with before they go, you know, if your dad just died two weeks before, it's probably not the time to deploy. So, so, to do some self-screening and self-assessment first before you go, and then to you know to form people in the teams and watch them while they're there, it's really important. And then you know when they return to follow up. So, because I was heading up our our divisional crisis response team, uh, when I got back to Kansas City, you know, I made sure that everybody who had gone there from our division. And went through some debriefings. We call them critical incident stress debriefings at that time. And then um, um, when they got back, and then we followed up. You know, every couple of weeks, and then even later, like into the quarter. And um, that really, really, really helped. And I didn't realize how much it helped because at that time, the people we saw some really significant stuff there. Um, nobody really had any long-term effects of our team that went in. However, when I became the territorial coordinator and started looking at other places and saw people who had not had any post-deployment care um, then I realized that, um, you know, we 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 needed to do better at that. And so after that, we I developed something called the Drop It Model, D-R-O-P, dash it. You can go on YouTube. I have, have the videos there. There's like 12 videos there you can watch. But it, it really provided a model for us to – help us people to process these experiences so they can really, you know, turn this because this is a significant life experience when you deployed something like this and you got this stuff you got to process and put away somewhere and you need to do that with somebody else I have found.
0: Dr. Kevin Ellers is with the Salvation Army. I'm Maria Morgan. This is Closer Look. You've mentioned a few resources that have come out of 9-11. So there's been a a processing philosophically, literally, what can we learn from it? Let's go into what you may have seen or witnessed or experienced spiritually. How did you see God working at that time and in the years since?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting because I'd said before, I was kind of part of way into my doctoral program and I was working on my final project and it was to help pastors, you know, to uh, meet the needs of their kind of the crises in their community. And after 9-11 I stopped and I actually started my whole doctoral project over. The courses that came out of that, I ended up with Caleb using to teach across the country as we've done those uh, trainings through the CRC. The
0: CRC, the Crisis Response Care.
1: And and you know, the Psychological First Aid course, the Grief, Falling, and Trauma, the Understanding of Suicide, the Emotional Spiritual Care disasters. So I wrote four courses out of that that came out of me been teaching internationally very few of us were getting this crisis response training in our in our professional programs that really re- reshaped that for me saying we've got to do that and a lot of other organizations did the same thing some really cool stuff came out of that and, and Caleb came aboard with this and so that, that was so great to get this training in the communities you know for free that, that, that was that was an incredible part.
0: Well, there's definitely something about bearing one another's burdens, just knowing what the other person has gone through. Much like the silence you said, the sacred silence that you sometimes experience with other people who were there.
1: I, I'll never forget it was this woman who uh, whose husband, husband had died in the World Trade Center. And she was sitting there and had been, you know, like I said, a couple of weeks into this, and she was just talking and she was just talking about how the how her life had changed and how you know she had this dog and she had left with a little baby and she didn't. Not, you you know, she had a challenge in the morning of, of going to walk the dog with the baby. Which I wake the baby up to take the dog out. And I remember just starting to, to help her brainstorm with that and figure figure it out. And we were like talking back and forth. And also we both got silenced. And I said to her, it's not about it's not about the situation. It's not about the dog. She's like, no. I said, the reality is your husband is never coming back and your life has totally changed. And she's, she's like, yeah, we sit there and we cried together. You know, and it's just this uh, profound moment of uh, sacred silence, you know, when you realize you can't fix this. You can't fix it. And that's why, you know, the material that I, you know, created started with that ministry of presence, because it really is about being present with somebody in that pain. And then, you know, and then that, that if you don't get that piece right, everything else doesn't matter. And so, you know, I said so I think that's a big, big part. I think that's what's changed me is how do I, you know, create a sacred space and how do I just teach Myself and others to just be with people, and it's challenging for us to do because we're we're, we're a fix it culture. Yeah, we want to do the five point stuff and be done with it. You know, and it's a process. It's a it's a crock pot. It's a journey. So it's a slow cook towards healing. It is, and we we want to do you know the microwave, you know, or the instapot Right, instapot Yeah. <laughs>
0: Your um, primary responsibility now is to train um, first responders, the people who will get the call to go to the car accident or the tornado or the fire or, God forbid, the terror attack. But what about those of us who aren't going to get that call because that's not our our job? What can we learn or know or, or understand about responding to grief, to trauma?
1: You know, I really think that that a lot of times we defer our pastoral care to the professionals, the senior pastors and the deacons and the elders, but that really wasn't Jesus' design. We are all the body of Christ and we are all called to serve when we see hurting people. And so I think, you know, I think nine eleven for many of us opened up our eyes to realize there's hurting people all around us. How can we prepare ourselves better to go to, to, to do that? And so we think about the big 9-11s and we think about the, the fires and we think about the floods and the tornadoes. But there are people in our churches and in our pews who are struggling on a day-to-day basis. Their loss is just as great, if not greater, than these other things. And so I guess what I say to the church you know, is that we, we've got to open our, our eyes. We've got to open our ears. We've got to look around us. Go make a difference in your world.